this week on Potpourri, Brandon and Rob decide to subject themselves to an early experiment in syndicated sitcoms by watching A Small Wonder, a sitcom in the 80s that brought many to question the existence of God. If you'd like to follow along at home, they're watching Season 1, Episode 3, The Sitter, which is freely available on YouTube. If you do, be forewarned, you may wish you'd left good enough alone. Talk about some crazy things. Then we'll talk about some other things. Pop, pop, poppery. And we'll talk about some other things. Bang, pow. Cause okay, so we're coming at you again uh, for. Well, these will probably end up in a different order by the time they're all produced, but our second go-through of Potpourri, where we're looking at things we think we know something about, um, but we probably don't. So we're re-watching them, re-investigating them, deciding whether what we thought was real or totally off track or what have you. This time, I'm pretty sure that my initial attitudes were very much confirmed by the re-go here. <laughs> and so we're going to take a look at the most horrifying terrifying and awful thing that happened during the late 80s a little show called small wonder okay so we have a lot to cover here there's a lot of stuff that's going to go into this uh because it's a really crazy show and there's a lot of production level stuff and there's some outside resources that we want to talk about one of them is a mental floss article you can find by just searching mental floss small posted by, yeah under small wonder it was posted by jack or Jake Rosen in June of last year. And he goes through, he talks to uh, Emily Schulman, whose new name is Emily Webster as of 2002. She mm -hmm. plays Harriet in the show, the awful little girl. Um, he talks to her primarily. It's an, focused around an interview with her, but a lot of the discussion is about the developer and producer of this show, Howard Leeds, mm -hmm. who sounds like just an awful, awful person. But it turns out... Mm -hmm. Also developed one of my favorite 80s shows, The Facts of Life. Mm -hmm. No idea. No idea. Also, Silver Spoons, not quite as good. And then was a writer and contributor in different capacities on different strokes. The Brady Bunch, the Doris Day Show, Bewitched, all the way back to Red Skelton Show in 1954. So he's an old TV hand. Near the end of his life, clearly, just, just clouded by senility and perhaps rage. Well, doesn't, doesn't the article say he's still alive? No, he can't possibly I think it's still he's alive. still alive and he's 95. I thought they said he was 95 when the show was in its last season. Oh, maybe. I thought it was saying that he's 95 today. If only there were a way we could check. Uh, there's no Unfortunately, way. Unfortunately, no we'll never, ever know. Anyway, Lost I feel like I got off track there for a bit. But, uh, oh yeah, right, because Alan Thick. I'm pretty sure is involved in the Facts of Life theme song. Wow. And so there's some weird connection. Huh. And that was pretty light. But anyway, yeah. The, okay, so the opening theme song typifies its its role in the TV landscape. It's a real... Go ahead and talk, if you will, about its, its sort of production niche. Where did it come from? What's it doing? How to get on TV? You read up on this. The Small Wonders? The Small Wonders, correct. <laughs> Uh, the Small Wonders was uh, born and raised in 1985, I believe, to 1989. That's a trending time. That's correct. I'm serious. I think it first broadcast in 86, but oh, the production okay. in 85. Yeah. All right. Which, if you'll recall, was the same years as um, Ronald Reagan's second presidency. I'll recall that, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of fun. That's just a fun fact. <laughs> yeah, the, the TV landscape of the time, you'll recall, was also dominated by shows that were not atrocious, even if they may have been staffed by rapists. I mean, the oh. Cosby Show, for instance. Oh, good call, yeah. Uh, was um, The Cheers. The Cheers. Uh, the Night Court was still on New TV. Heart. Yeah, New Heart was still the on. The second rendition of New Heart. Absolutely. Which, of course, is going to later on dovetail a lot of things. Edie McClurg, one of my favorite actresses, 
of 80s TV, was also on New Heart, and she's in this show as the nosy neighbor, which she plays Whoa. on everything she's in. Almost. What about that Jason Bateman show that changed titles every year? Yeah, she's on that show. She okay. plays Mrs. Poole. In fact, she left this show, Small Wonder, to take a, a permanent gig on Valerie's Family. Valerie's Family. Or the Hogan Family. Or Hogan's Family. I think Hogan's Alley was a Nintendo game. She was on Hogan's Heroes Hogan's and Heroes. Hogan's Alley, the light gun game. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you remember was, the light gun game? You remember it? <laughs> awesome. She was very, very busy. Here's something we should mention about her. She's not the same person as Mary Jo Catlett. No. Even though they were on almost all the same shows, they have overlapping voice work. <laughs> they look somewhat <laughs> similar. Really, you don't know who this is? Okay, no. so okay. you know who Edie McClurg is? She doesn't show up in the episode. She's Harriet's mom. Yeah, I remember her. But at least, you know, my child does. I didn't <laughs> see it in this, her in this episode. So it's... Sure, she's been acting for quite a while, but in stuff that tends to be a little better. Uh-huh. Like, she's in Eating Raoul, uh, the... the Oh, the sequel to Eating Gilbert Grape? No, it is not, but it's the prequel. Uh, it's, it's from the 80s, something. Oh, uh, the prequel. Uh, no, it, I'm, I'm blanking for a minute on the name here. We find out what the, the Carpenter oh, movie. movie. John uh, Bartell movie. Anyway, she's okay. in the 1983 edition of the Pee Wee Herman show. Oh. Uh, she's in stuff. She's in Natural Born Killers. She plays Juliette Lewis's mom. Whoa. In the, in the rapey sitcom. I've never Sendo. seen Natural Born Killers. Okay. Besides all the clips, you know, that were on TV at the time saying how America's gone to hell. Sure. And it did. And here we are. Because of that movie. And Small Wonder. And Small Wonder. And also Homeboys in Space, which she was on. And she played Fred's mom on Scooby-Doo Pirates Ahoy. Anyway. Wow. She's done lots of stuff. Um, You might know her best. You would think that right now Brandon was looking at IMDb, (laughs) but he is not. <laughs> you, you would know her well. <laughs> what I like you, you, you know, uh, since you have kids, you probably know her as a voice actress on things like Higgly Town Heroes and those Disney and Nickelodeon shows. Uh, no, uh, we haven't right. watched those, but I believe you. That was incredible. Mary Jo Catlett is the voice of Mrs. Puff on SpongeBob. Oh, They're okay. both sort of heavy set actresses, uh-huh. and they're uh-huh. uh, now in their 50s and 60s. Red-haired oh. Mary Jo Catlett's on New Heart. She plays. Uh, she's on Serial Mom, the John Waters film. Um, they overlap in all these other shows: Murder She Wrote, Columbo, Magnum PI, shows like that during the '80s. Really, uh, this is a big alley I'm going down. It's a good. But I've always been confused by them. Their voice work is really similar. Huh. The episode we watched, however, did not have even a character. No, no. So forget all that. But no, that's good knowledge. <laughs> that's good stuff. Um, but, but back to the original question, it was made oh, because, okay. because in the, yeah. apparently in the 80s, uh, it was cheaper to make uh, a television show to put in syndication than to syndicate an actual existing television uh-huh. series, which seemed bizarre. Yeah, you want to explain the difference? Um, well, if I understand the difference, it's you take a show that's been like 100 episodes plus, and then you can just run it every day. You pay right. a certain fee for it. Is that how it goes? I think that's how it goes, yeah. But... Uh, apparently, in this case, it was cheaper to make a show syndicated, just make up an entirely new show, than to buy the rights to mm-hmm. an existing show. Is that correct? I'm, that's how I understand it. To Which doesn't make sense in my mind. That doesn't seem like how that's possible. I can't believe how much they cost. But Apparently, this show is famous for not costing very much. But they still said it was like, <laughs> it's all on screen. <laughs> but they said it was still like around 300000 an episode. Right. In okay? 1980s money. Sure, which is like at least three hundred and twenty thousand now, if I understand. Sure, but you're inflation. talking about paying Tom Selleck more than that per episode just to oh, act. Oh, they all have to get paid. I get it. But, okay, so that's the, that's the story here. That's and we should just for context, this is uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation starts up halfway through the run of Small Wonder, based on Small Wonder. Based on as an ad after. Yeah, wasn't it wasn't a spinoff. Yeah, it was based on uh, some slash fic written. <laughs> <laughs> Some data slash fic. Yeah. Uh, you can, you, it really shows. But it is famous for being the, the biggest syndicated, the, the first big, huge syndicated show of that type. Okay. Not Small Wonder, but Star Trek. Okay. However, Small Wonder clearly was part of the Wait, Star Trek was a syndicated show? Yes. Like it wasn't like a, Correct. a primetime show? That's exactly right. What? And so like Small Wonder, what happened was the local TV affiliates had this empty these empty programming blocks that they had to fill somehow 
And the easiest way to fill it was to buy cheap syndicated shows and plug those in there, which is why some people in some parts of the country, you know, saw a small wonder at four o'clock in the afternoon, and some people only saw it on Saturdays. And yeah, I don't, all I don't remember when I saw it. Like you remember that. when you saw it, or did you never see it? Because you no, saw it I once. saw it. We had a, it was in our market. I, it was on sort of in between Donahue and the so, five o'clock news. So somewhere in there before the Ducktales and stuff came out. Yeah, that slot. My memory was in the morning, but that obviously it could have been. It could have been. I, I bet I was in a similar broadcasting. Loop as you were, though. I think Salt Lake and Boise would have been. I don't know. Similar? The assumption may have been in northern Utah that a lot of ladies were home watching TV in the morning. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Because my memory is uh, of watching it with just my mom around when I was little, before school. Like before mom I let you school. watch the small one. Jesus. I know, right? Parenting. <laughs> Speaking, you know, this we'll eventually on. get into some the- themes here, but yeah. these are bad parents in Small Wonder. Oh. They're bad people and bad parents, yeah. and they're in a bad marriage, and they dress <laughs> badly. Everything about them is bad. And the job makes no sense. His like, job makes... Correct. He made <laughs> what appears to be a fully functioning humanoid robot, and yet he's still not a millionaire? What? What's happening there? Uh, good question. There are some logic problems that the show encounters. <laughs> All right, let, you know, okay, okay let's, okay. let's step back for a second. Let's overview right. the series okay. conceptually. So, you want to give it a go? Whether it's about Vicky? Yeah. What do you mean? Just like the whole thing? So, we've got a family, a family okay. of two. They're raising a young Billy Corgan. Yeah, so we've got we've got the the dad is named Ted, the mom is named Joanne or okay. Joan, variously. Okay, really? Yeah, thanks. Uh, they just change it. It's spelled like Joanne, but then they pronounce it Joan in uh, the episode we saw, and uh, I believe they pronounce it Joanne in the pilot. It's kind of <laughs> wacky. I could have I could have been delirious at the time I watched through the pilot. <laughs> well, they so they have one son. And Jamie is the son. Jamie. Jamie is their son. They were only able to have one son because after he was born, <laughs> Joanne had to have a hysterectomy. <laughs> is that in the pilot? That is in the fan fiction. <laughs> she. <laughs> anyway, so that was a bummer. That's kind of a, that was a sour note to start on. So, but they always wanted a second child. I don't think any of this. No, is that's true. not correct. <laughs> that, that, that is not correct. So Ted is his name. Ted. Joan or Joanne has always wanted a second child. Okay. Ted has shown no interest until so instead. Of, so he decides to build a robot, and unlike the clever guys from Weird Science. Who makes like a beautiful, right. sexy robot? <laughs> right. He makes a prepubescent girl in a maid costume. In a maid costume. And actually, I should point this out: the pilot episode establishes that he designed her clothing. <laughs> really? Yes. He brings her home in the pilot episode. I, I mean, everything we said is is part of that framework setup. He brings her home in a giant suitcase, dismembered oh, in various no. pieces, naked. Oh, great. And, uh, and so, so Jamie says, what'd you bring us home, Dad? Or something along those lines. He's been, he opens up the suitcase, pulls out naked, dismembered robot girl parts. Oh. And that, that, I think, sets a lot of pretty uncomfortable <laughs> elements up in, in the program. But then he spends two weeks... Locked up in a room, he won't let the the other two go in there oh. until he's finally finished with her. Ooh. Oh, I know. And then the next time we see her, she's dressed up in her little, her little, you know, prepubescent maid costume. Yeah, and it's not, it's not wholesome. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> it's not appropriate. And the dumb thing too is that, like, I think this every time a show casts a child in a role where logic won't allow that child to age naturally. Right. Like, what? Like, you make a robot that can't age. Like, what are you thinking casting a child? Why wouldn't they just make it an adult? But then I guess that would have been a whole other issue. Oh, it would have been a lot sexier. <laughs> <laughs> the way it is, I think that word is not going to come into play. At no. least in ways that are terribly, terribly traumatizing. That's true. Yeah. In fact, I think there is a fairly creepy undercurrent in this show that... May or may not have been intentional, but is without it. You can't watch it and not pick it up now. Hmm. I mean, in just this episode, you got your lines like. Uh, what episode are we watching, by the way? Oh yeah, sorry. So we chose um, episode three 
I listed it as 18, but it's episode three called The Sitter. The Sitter. Um, Not a horror, unfortunately. Not a horror. No. (laughs) The title sounds like a horror. It it does. And so this is the third episode. I watched through the pilot and then an episode from season four just for some scope. Um, We should mention there are 96 episodes of this show. Nine, six. Whoa. Almost 100 episodes. This is kind of a little quick tangent. I'm looking back to later. Do you remember the TV show What a Dummy? I feel like this is the setup, but no. It's not. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of this, though, where like, the family a has a ventriloquist dummy come to life. It, really? Yeah. Similarly terrible. A little bit later, though. I'm going to guess like probably like early 90s. I do not. All right. We've yeah. talked a little bit about today's special, though, right? Yeah. Like, there's this whole theme of today's special, like, What a Dummy. Small wonder. Apparently there's a precursor to this show that some production people worked on also about a robot trying to blend into society. Really? As a late 60s TV show. <gasps> oh, yeah. I read that. They were talking about the Metal Floss, weren't they? I think so, yeah. And it had What's-Her-Butt, Catwoman in it. Which one? I don't remember. Blue uh, Merriweather? Or is it not Catwoman? Joanne Newsom? What's her name? Oh, Julie Newmar? Julie Newmar, yeah. Oh, I guess what it scanned it, sorry. It's okay, Julie Newmar was the was the robot. Crazy. Yeah. Julie so, <coughs> I guess here's a related okay. question. Sorry. Has the conceit ever worked effectively on the show? <laughs> and now, a poppery interruption. Brought to you by Brandon. Coming at you with a new list for 2016, because people are into them now. Here are the top three 80s robots. Making his way into our screens and hearts in 1987 is the TV robot Data from the TV show Star Trek, colon, the new Star Trek show on TV. He was a robot who looked like a man, which was no coincidence, because he was played by a man named Brent Spiner. He acted like a robot because he was written to act like a robot, although that part might also have had something to do with actor Brent Spiner. While the first couple of seasons of the show were pretty hard to take, even if you're a giant Denise Crosby fan from her Pet Cemetery days, the show found its stride before too long, and later seasons are pretty solid, if hopelessly 90s. Data was an audience fave, although Spiner himself has been less visible as an actor ever since. That's not to say he doesn't work. He's been in a million things, including Warehouse 13, where he plays a weird guy, Independence Day, where he plays Donald Trump's weird doctor, and the South Park movie, where, weirdly, He plays Conan O'Brien. Number two. While this may raise some hackles among folks who argue about whether a cyborg with a human brain is less of a robot than a robot with, say, human hair, or more of one than an AI with a Paul Lindish vocal swish, I think we can all agree that anything with most of the word robot in its name is a darn robot. And so the second spot goes to Robocop. Also making his entrance in 1987, Robocop is the story of evil drug lord Kurtwood Smith, whose only desire is to spread cynical 80s-ness throughout the land. This dystopian future posits the outrageous idea that unethical corporations will somehow be in control of society and make poor decisions that endanger everyone for their own profits. Thank goodness that never happened. Anyway, while he walks like a viral video of frat boys on ketamine, Weller manages to make Robocop both menacing and sympathetic, much like the William Burroughs character he played four years later in Naked Lunch. And number one, obviously, the best robot of the entire decade needs no introduction, which raises the perfectly legit question of why this current sentence is an introduction. Well, it looked weird without something after the number one. That's my excuse. Anyway, it's Arnold as the Terminator, of course. In the 80s, Arnold played the T-800, a deadly robot with a thick Austrian future accent, who comes back in time to perform a pre-bortion on Linda Hamilton before she has the chance to tame her giant 80s hair and buff way out. Even though theoretical physicists had speculated about multiverse theory, chaos effects, and a million reasons why the plot in this film is bonkers crazy, James Cameron proved early on that he don't care and made a gajillion dollars in the process. Iconic and awesome in every way, Arnold's Terminator would go on to the possibly even better T2, and sadly, there was never another Terminator movie. Why, Hollywood, why? And that was a poppery interruption. Back to the show, boys.
Okay, so where were we talking about? Okay, so he brings show. home the he brings home the thing, the little mm-hmm, bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then proceed. Well, that's pretty much it. There's just the, <laughs> that's the show, right? You've got then the wacky hijinks of of a family with a robot daughter, and the the mom keeps thinking of her daughter, and the dad cruelly keeps telling her that it's cruelly. not a real human. That's true. It's like. It's insane how cruel it feels and yeah. mean-spirited. I, that was one of the most disturbing things, and it doesn't go away. Like I said, I watched later episodes. That doesn't really change very much. He doesn't soften on that point. And his oh, wow, what a, his creep. language is just, it's awful. It's not a real child. <laughs> Plus, uh, okay, so so just to cover this before we get into the some more of that stuff, the other element of the plot is that there are next-door neighbors. This is where Edie McClurg comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Brindles. Uh, there's her and her husband who works for the same company as Ted. They're both part of United Robo Dynamics or Robotronics mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And for whatever reason, Ted can't allow him to figure out that Vicky is a robot. That's never really established in terms of why that's the case. They have a daughter named Harriet, who you will recognize. Of course, she's named Harriet. Of course, she is. If you've ever seen this show anywhere in your brain, you will immediately have a physical reaction to seeing her. She has this giant sort of cross between Wendy from the fast food restaurant and troll doll hair <laughs> and, and these sort of gremlin teeth and, and oh, floral poor area. And her mannerisms are a bit like Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and she she's just terrifying. In my mind, she was in all 80s TV shows, but I don't think <laughs> she was. She was not in all 80s TV shows. She was in a few other things, um, <laughs> but nothing, nothing to the extent that okay. she was in this stuff. Yeah. And so that creates most of the conflict. The neighbors are always trying to figure out... Is Harriet trying to figure out if she's a robot? Harriet's trying to prove that Vicky's a robot, but she's also in love with Jamie. And she wants Harriet to be... I mean, she also wants Vicky to be her friend, right? Sort of? In the clip that we saw... The, At least in episode three she did. Yeah. In that clip, it's because she's trying to... She, wants she just wants to come inside. Aww. She's just like a... She's so lonely. <laughs> she is. Her babysitter has fallen asleep. To her talking. To her talking. To her uh-huh. prattle. And the audience laughs. Oh, my God. Notoriously at that. They do. Because... Oh, and this is the thing. <laughs> okay, I've got two things I want to get at here really quickly. Um, in the pilot episode, uh, Jamie says of Harriet, Harriet's a pill and she's nosy. What a waste of womanhood. <laughs> <laughs> And earlier than that, to an earlier point, he says, I need a brother. I'd even settle for a sister. I don't think you're really working on it, Mom. Oh. I know, right? Yeesh. I bet the audience was like, (laughs) Well, here's a... Thank you for reminding me what I was going to say. The other thing is, this is filmed in front of a live studio audience. (laughs) It is. Yeah, I love the, the, the... The anecdote in the Metal Floss article, the, the, uh, they, I don't remember which person said it, but they said one time they filmed it in front of a group of Chinese tourists. <laughs> <laughs> no one was laughing. That's awesome. That is excellent. Yeah. Here's another, okay, so I did, I watched it. By the way, anyone would laugh ever. But they do. It's so crazy. Oh, so maybe this is too soon, but you know the part when Vicky starts dancing in this episode? Yes, I do. And there is, did you notice the guy laughing? It was musical. It was it was uh, the best laugh I've ever heard. I don't think it was canned. It was like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> So good. Weird. I mean, that looked like a post-production effect, so I wonder how, that, I wonder what she was doing during the actual scene. When she was just doing this? Oh, that day. No, not like okay. this not thing. The, not not the, when she was freaking out. Oh, Sorry okay. to everyone listening. I, I was doing. Yeah, this weird you thing. mean when she was when she was Vicky? What are you doing? Yeah, dancing. And you can clearly tell she's trying not to laugh. <laughs> Who taught you to dance? Like that, Michael Jackson, and she's not <laughs> dancing like Michael Jackson. And then Jamie proceeds to Big show Jay. his dance moves, and the audience is like, "Woo!" <laughs> yes, they are. And they're really embarrassing. <laughs> they are tremendously embarrassing. Um, and his his character is built that way, and it's really weird. Uh, he says uh, at one point, Vicky says that she's going to put him to bed, and he says, "Oh yeah, how are you going to put Big J to bed?" <laughs> it's both creepy and unearned, and oh, it's just awful. <laughs> well, he does not he does not uh, convince me that he should be called Big J on any level. <laughs> oh, there's a, another anecdote. I watched a review from a nostalgic <laughs> critic on YouTube. 
oh, that's League good. of Super Critics, the uh, you know YouTube show. And he made an right. interesting point that I wanted that I want to discuss with you. But he okay. also had an, he also showed a clip of a fourth season episode featuring a Russian computer Ted. Like a, a Ted equivalent, but he's Russian, uh-huh. and it's the '80s, so you know his name's probably Tedsky. <laughs> <laughs> this is my robot. I am Tedsky, sort of thing. Anyway, Borlaug. His robot. What that guy's name is jokes. Exactly. What's his name? Boris Badenov. No, Yakov. Oh, Yakov Smirnov. Jokes. Yeah. No, he's he's a treasure. Soviet robot. That's great. Okay, sorry. Anyway, so this guy builds a Russian robot uh, whose name is Gudanov, right? <laughs> and so one of the jokes, because Ted and Joan and whoever else uh, uncover, and I don't know why it's a problem, but they uncover the robot, and the Russian guy says, you just couldn't leave Gudanov alone. <laughs> and the audience boos. <laughs> the live studio audience boos and groans. <laughs> And it's in the broadcast episode. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't edit it out. Why do they boo and groan? It's a terrible joke. <laughs> hey, 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 You couldn't leave good enough alone. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta watch that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. <laughs> and you know. Even with their budget, <laughs> budgetary restrictions, they could have afforded to, to cut that sound out, but they didn't. Uh, well, like, that's great. So we talked about that you can't do that on a television episode, which may or may not be played before this episode, but like it felt uh-huh. like everything was done on the first take and that. This seemed a little better, but still kind of that vibe. Like, mm-hmm. like there was times where I felt like you could have gotten a better shot than that, I feel like. And there's a man. Let's just leave it. We don't have the budget for this. Well, we know a couple of things. We know that they used five cameras for some reason, according to the Mental Floss article. Mm-hmm. And we know they had at least one rehearsal because they, <laughs> according to Emily Webster, a creepy old man. <laughs> no, he's a little person. You got that detail. <laughs> Did I forget that? Yeah, because he stood in for the child actors. During, right. Like, well, I, didn't, I, I knew he stood in. I didn't realize he physically... He was a little person. Wow. And he would he would laugh he would laugh on set to to show where the audience laugh beats would be yeah probably optimistically I would think <laughs> <laughs> but there was uh, in the same the same article there were some shoots that uh, lasted five six seven hours oh so they must have gotten okay. takes yeah but, but that was the best thing uh, they could do sometimes yeah wow Whew. yeah oh so. Keep in mind too that in the '90s, when, in school, every every child was convinced because we all had a collective memory of small wonder that <laughs> that Jamie was Billy Corgan. I never that was never part of my. That tell me more about you, the structure of this urban legend. Well, you were probably this was probably a little bit after you were uh, maybe had graduated from from high school. Perhaps. I think it was about it was about when it was I was the mid nineties. So yeah, it would have been. I mean, it was after like Siamese Dream made it big, maybe even Melancholy. Okay. So ninety five probably is when this. Had uh, the Pumpkins been on The Simpsons yet? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the rumor was that uh, Billy Corgan, because you know this was this was when the internet was in its infancy. You couldn't sure. just check this stuff. Oh, out. tell me, I remember. Ugh. I remember waiting twenty minutes for a picture <laughs> to download. <laughs> yeah. So we all believed, for some bizarre reason, that Billy Corgan and the kid who played Jamie were one and the same. That was the story, and also that Paul from The Wonder Years, was it Paul, the nerdy kid, was yeah. Marilyn Manson. Yeah, that one I knew. The Billy Corgan one is kind of new to me. I mean, it wasn't. Well, maybe it was just localized to my high school. <laughs> no, I've read it. I've read. I mean, I've seen it other places. I know that's widely believed to be. But meanwhile, the, the truth was the actor oh, yeah. was uh, <laughs> losing money. Yeah, no strippers were beating him up and stealing yeah, his money. That's just depressing. No, it is. And uh, if we're talking about actors a little bit, that guy. I'm, just to be fair and where credit is due, that fellow's name is Jerry Superin or Superin. Or, Something along those lines, yeah. S-U-P-I-R-A-N. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of dropped out of, uh, of the public eye, so to speak. There was a TMZ episode that I caught part of. You know TMZ, ever mm-hmm. watch the show where they figure out what news stories they're following? Yeah. One of them was Jerry um, announcing that he was going to make a big, try to make a big Hollywood comeback. This was after he had been robbed of his money by a stripper and his agent. 
and he had worked as a waiter in Henderson, Nevada, but then laid off in the economic downturn. Uh, he wanted to be on Dancing with the Stars. He was making a pitch to be on that show. In the press kit that he sent out to Dancing with the Stars, he's pictured holding a beer and a cigarette at 8 o'clock in the morning by the look of the shadows and the sun. The TMZ oh. folks make a lot of fun of him, and That's it's kind of just sad. TMZ, man. They, they, yeah, really. When they right. punch, they punch down. Yes, they will. Right, and from a low position. So Yeah, that's uh, brutal. That's yeah. impressing. Right. I also saw, um, uh, what's her butt? Uh, Emily Webster, who played uh, Harriet. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Some other website called, like, Washed Up Celebrities. Aww. I know, like, they did this thing on her wedding, and they were so mean. Well, I got to say, um, she turned out, okay, so between her and Tiffany Brissett, who plays Vicky, they uh, both just turned out to be pretty regular people. And so I think that that's out of line, out of place. Yeah. Uh, her, she was in some other things. She was in Troop Beverly Hills was her biggest sort of role. Harriet was? Harriet was. Alf and Wonder Years, things like that. She won two Young Artist Awards for Small Wonder somehow. Oh. And then she headed a talent division for Acme for 13 years, and now she teaches acting in Connecticut on the coast. So, huh. you know, she's a regular person. She's just living her. her life. And then your Vicky. Uh, okay, so one thing that was strange was there is footage of Vicky hosting the 700 Club, oh, which is okay. really screwy. And she comes on, this is in 1991. Okay. And she comes on and she looks like a hostage Mormon polygamist bride. Whoa. By way of hairstyle and yeah. so on and so forth. Kind of like Chris Christie giving Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, to drop a to drop a, pre, a a thing. A thing. A recent. Yeah. 2016. Kind of like, I mean, I don't blame her for this because in 91 she would have been how, under her parents' control probably. And maybe they were just evangelical strange people. Sure, sure. Or maybe she was hanging out with Kirk Cameron a lot. Well, interestingly enough, um, Candace Cameron was considered for the role of Vicky huh. in the show. Really? In the show. <laughs> as was Heather O'Rourke, who you might know from Poltergeist. Yeah. Is she the dead one? She's the dead one. Everyone's dead from Poltergeist. I are they uh, One got strangled, the other one died from a disease. Right. Craig T. Nelson's still alive. Yeah. And so is uh, Joe Beth. That's not a kid. That's right. Yeah, it, it could be. Could be. So we could have ended up with uh, maybe we could have ended up with Tiffany Brissett on Full House. Whoa. In an alternate universe. That might have been a good alternate universe because, you know, one of the things they were saying in this Metal Foss article, and granted it was, I think, coming from from her mom, but they were saying that she was the most talented cast member. And I honestly <laughs> think her mom might have said that. And her mom, you know, is a little biased. But I, watching <laughs> it, I can kind of actually see it. Me too. Like, well, Edie McClure. But, yeah. She was a ringer. Sure, sure, sure. But, um, Candace Cameron, I don't really know if she was necessarily talented, but she was, I don't know. She's fine, but maybe this girl could have shown some little more range with the DJ character. I hate Full House so much. Yeah, I do too. I have no nostalgia for it. No. Uh-uh. Mostly just depression. Yeah. Yeah. So Fuller House, not on my radar. No. Okay. No. All right, let's Unless start. there's an episode where Uncle Joey dies somehow, <laughs> tragically but hilariously. They have a meta, a meta like type episode where Alanis Morissette and Uncle Joey get together. That might be fun. That would be fun. Yeah, I would probably pop in for that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, not Full House side track. Yeah, Full House side track. Um, back to the small wonders. So what were we? We were talking about. We were talking about where they acted. Where so, are they now? Okay, so Vicky after that stuff. She's okay, you know. She got a bachelor's degree in psychology mm-hmm. from Westmont in Santa Barbara. She ran a marathon in 2002 and finished 101st out of 545. That ain't bad. Now she's a nurse in Boulder, Colorado, which is good. Sounds fine. But she's also an experimental dancer. I don't know what that means, but huh. that's how she's listed there in her bio. Based on her dancing in the episode... I don't know what experimental <laughs> might mean, but... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, and then, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, you go. I was just going to say, there isn't a lot of information about um, Marla, uh, the mom, Joan. They did say that, that yeah. yeah. She pretty much uh, hasn't acted since then. Or um, during. <laughs> no! 
Uh, Dick Christie played Ted, the dad. Uh, he recently was on an episode of Breaking Bad, of all what? things. Yeah. Weird. I don't remember his turn. He was has a character named Stu. Huh. That'd have been fun if you were a robot. It would have been fun. Like, like a wink. Like we're winking. And then he's on Bold and the Beautiful, a soap opera. That you, one of your soap, one of your stories. We were getting beeps and bloops all over the place. It's like, yeah, it's... You've been... All right, so... Um, well, one thing I want to talk about, maybe not about holding yeah. up, is I think one interesting thing about Small Wonder is it's got that weird optimism of the 80s. Where it's like... Really? Uh, go ahead. Okay. What I mean is that, like, where... We thought we were in the future, and we were way optimistic about technology. Like, we thought we could do things that were so far away still. Mm. Like, you know, this guy works in a robotics lab where we're pretty much making robots. (laughs) He makes a joke one time that's not a joke about, like, Uh opening and closing a door. Oh, my God. And then Jamie's like... The guy, I get tired. I can't remember. No, I, I have it. I have it written down. Do you have an example thing? of jokes that make no sense? Okay, and their delivery is crazy. I do have it written down. Let's hear it. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so the, the 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 setup is that they're going to some kind of presentation where the boss is going to announce a new invention there at the door, and uh, Jamie asks, "What is it?" And Ted says, "Oh, it's a car door tester for assembly lines. Uh, it opens and closes a door a, a car door ten thousand times a minute or whatever." And then Jamie says, that must be tough on the guy who has to get in and out of the car. And then Ted says, he hasn't complained yet. And then he waits a couple beats, and he says, that's a joke, Jamie. Do you get it? (laughs) (laughs) Which is so perfect. Because no, I don't get it. It logically makes no sense as a joke. It's not a joke. No, and it's not a joke. We understand jokes. And Jamie told the joke. So what is he even asking? Oh, uh, so so frustrating. That was one of the examples. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one was just like I think I wrote I wrote that down. Yeah, I wrote down here. That was a joke. <laughs> uh, but um, no, what I'm getting at is that like that was the level of robotics that we probably had the 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 level of in the 19, 1986 or whatever when this is coming out. But yet. All the shows then. Like, we have, like, this optimistic idea in the 80s of, like, yeah, but we can make robotic children. We can make a robotic car. <laughs> we can do this. Right? Computers can make people. We can make Teddy Ruxpin. We can make Teddy Ruxpin. That's make. true. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. That weird, like, that weird view of the 80s where it was, like, we were, thought we were so far advanced, but we really were just still in the analog 70s, but with, like, mm. glitzier like, output. That's what I was meaning. True. But you seem to like when I said that, say like when I said oh, I found optimistic, you yeah. feel like something like I find the show deeply cynical on every level. <laughs> okay, well I didn't mean that, but that, that makes sense. No, no, that's fine. And I think part of it, I think we talked a little bit about this outside of the show. Um, but uh, the Mental Floss article suggests that the writing was sort of hemmed in by this Howard Leeds character, this nefarious character <laughs> who hates all things good and right. And despises the laughter of children and mm-hmm. so on. Right. At any rate, so they were sort of uh, corrected away from making scripts interesting or complicated or exploring humor. I think the um, writers snuck things in that, oh. because they were angry at having to write these things. Yeah. But at the other, on the other hand, there are 96 episodes. Guess how many credited writers for episodes there are? In, uh, I, how many I unique know. writers there are? 77. Whoa. There are 96 episodes written by 77 people. The most that any one person wrote is 11 episodes. Huh. The second most is five, and most of the rest of them are one or two. And if you look through, you can click on any one of these people and get a list of other things, other writing credits in there, like Mr. Belvedere and Silver Spoons, and just other trash comms of the 80s. Yeah. So it's this weird sort of... You, you piss somebody off and they ship you over to Small Wonder. <laughs> or you just got out of jail for your, you know, sex predator conviction and then Small Wonder until you can land. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I feel like the, the jokes are delivered really cynically by the writers and then the actors try to make something out of them. Uh, that's just... That's an interesting but, theory. Yeah, I could see that. What's it? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. There you go. No, no, no. No, 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 no,
his basic premise, his, his thesis, if you will, is that the show is not the worst show ever made. Oh. Which is a bold statement. Yeah. But his defense is, it's so silly crazy. It's so wackadoodle that it can't be the worst show. That there's I, at least that going for Yeah, I actually, I, I think I'm going to agree with him. <laughs> I think I'm going to agree with him. Like, it was terrible, but it was so, <laughs> but it was so weirdly awful that it was like, it wasn't, I don't even know what I'm saying. It wasn't, it wasn't like so bad it's good, because it wasn't bad, but it no. wasn't okay. so bad it's bad either. It was just kind of like, what? <laughs> like, I think I had more fun watching this than you can do on television. At least had a plot, which was something. But it was still just awful. And what? Okay, so by the way, in the episode, there's a key plot part where the parents come home, I guess, early. Um, uh, and, right. And, they're, and because of Amelia Bedelia plot, they can't get the door open. <laughs> Why yes. don't they have a key? This is such a... Well, they, they may have... That's a, that's a good question. That's certainly a good question. The uh, Joan at one point says, I think he bolted the door, or, or Ted does. And perhaps the key would uh, unlock a deadbolt, although it seems like... Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. It's done. Right. But then, yes, he, he just climbs through so the There's so many window. dumb plot elements like that, though. That, like, yeah. I feel like a nine-year-old could deconstruct. That, yeah. Right at that moment, just because I'm thinking of it, is a good <laughs> demonstration of something that bothered me. Did you think that uh, Ted, the father, was just a total dick the whole episode? Yes, he's an awful man. He's awful to everyone. Yeah. He's not nice to his child. He's a really bad person to his robot. And he's, <laughs> he's really demeaning to his wife. Yeah, right in that scene. Uh, I've got it down here somewhere. He makes that joke about sororities. You're right. It's not appropriate. All my experience in your looking into sororities is going to pay off. And then he says, when when he pulls on the window to open it up, he says, he finds that it's up, and he says, what have I told you about keeping the windows unlocked? He's yelling at her right. for not locking the window, which, of course, he could easily do himself, but yeah. it's just so out of place and angry. What a, yeah. And yeah. Then later, after it's revealed that Jamie has given Vicky a milkshake... Of all things. Mm-hmm. And then he, he says literally to his son, how could you do such a dumb thing? You have to earn our trust. You know, giving Vicky a milkshake is a huge violation of trust. Demonstration that this kid is not to be treated well. And what's his embedded interest in Vicky? He doesn't care for her as a child. I mean, he's not trying to make money off of her. That's true. What, what's his deal? I don't know. There's a later episode that I saw a clip of where it's revealed that the cabinet she sleeps in is in, in, in Ted and Joan's bedroom and that she's conscious while inside the cabinet. They're, they're going in for a snuggle, which luckily they don't show on the, on the screen. Yeah. And then Joan says, I just feel kind of strange. I feel like Vicky can see us. And then uh, Ted says, oh, don't worry, honey. No, she can't. And then Vicky says... Yes, I can. Oh, no. Oh, I know. It's too much. <laughs> so I don't know, to answer your question, I don't know what Ted is up to. Ted. Huh. I think he's the villain, right? Yeah. Maybe that's what this whole show was trying to tell us. Because I watched part of the finale, too, where like, they uh, get like the other Vicky that's like kind of like Vanessa. Steve or Kel or whatever. Or yeah. Or like Stefan. Yeah, Vanessa. And he was equally creepy about her, too. Just like mm-hmm. selfish and mean and... Yeah, um, yeah. And Vanessa locks them in a dungeon in Hollywood. Is that the one you saw? I didn't watch the whole thing because uh, I got cut off by the fact that we were gonna start this show. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, the, Vanessa is the evil version of Vicky, who has she's oh, and and when 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 he's talking about her, he's demeaning to Vicky in the process of it. Mm-hmm. Vanessa's better than Vicky in every way. She has you know her own emotions, and she'll she's sexy. Weird. He's a bad person. And why wouldn't he make Vanessa be a different looking child? Though? There's a good question. Or a boy. Or, or a, a boy. Cat. Or a, yeah. <laughs> what a mess. Time for another poppery interruption. Brought to you by Rob.
Growing up, I always felt like my name, Robert, was somehow related to Robot. It wasn't. One winter afternoon, I snuggled with my mom. She showed me a book about robots and asked if I wanted to read it. Robots were real? Yes. Like R2-D2? Yes. But then, she read me the book. Robots were real, but they were really boring. They ran machines. They worked on assembly lines. They built cars. Where were my androids? Where were my sentient robotic overlords? In honor of the roller coaster ride of the extreme joy to utter disappointment I felt on that sun-drenched winter afternoon, here is a list of the most disappointing robots ever to grace our screens. Uh, I do owe some gratitude on this list for Pace Magazine's best robot list to help me remember robots. First off, we've got Michael Fassbender's David in Prometheus. That movie had more plot holes than a hobo's sock, but David somehow was the most interesting and most frustrating character in the show, which makes him disappointing. What's your motivation, David? Those aliens at the end of AI, because I thought they were friggin' aliens. Wasn't until years later I found out those ETs were actually friggin' robots. That's disappointment. All the robots in the Matrix sequels, because, like the game Parcheesi, they should never have existed. Sam Kreshnaw from the TV show Today's Special. Granted, he was more of an uncanny valley muppet, but since Mori was referring to robots in his theory, and Sam is a prime example of the concept, he counts as a robot. Plus, those scenes where the alarms on his 1980s PC blared still give me nightmares. The pseudo-robots in Stepford Wives remake. Nothing in that film made sense. The dual roles of Robin Williams as a robot in Bicentennial Man and Patch Adams. Williams' legacy deserves more. Full disclosure, though, I've never seen the former and don't think the latter had a robot. Thus ends our poppery interruptions. We now return to our regular show. Regularly. Are you regular? What a crazy So I would say, uh, no. The show holds up in no way. In no <laughs> way does it hold up. But, no, no. Uh-huh. But it's not... It's not the worst. Like, it's not the worst show ever made. Uh, or do you think it is? <laughs> I, uh, I'm trying to think of something that I would say is worse. Okay. Well, that lasted four seasons. That's that. That might be the worst show ever made. Then that might be true. Undoubtedly, yeah. there's something that lasted six seasons or three seasons or even or episodes rather or even one full season that, that was really terrible. I mean, obviously, yes, there's probably something. But since it was a syndicated show that was never on prime time, I mean, it's not like it was trying to be good. No, that's one of the things. The Metal Plus article makes that point pretty clearly, that they were able to work with a pretty good margin just by churning out whatever they churned out. Yeah. Yeah. And even, <laughs> did you, really, you caught the part about the green screen effect on Vicky's head turning around? Where to achieve that, they had to put a, <laughs> like a stock, a stocking, a sock over her head, and yeah. she couldn't breathe. Yeah, she was being abducted, tortured <laughs> on set, and the mom had to stop them because uh, she was. Uh, thank God she had a mom around. Yeah, yikes. Mm. So, did you? We talked a little bit about when it aired. Do you have any memories of watching the show? Yeah, I hated it. Just that it was odd. You hated it. I did. It creeped me out as a kid. What about you? Uh, I don't have very many memories. Except for what I was saying, I remember liking it, or just you know, being just a child that would watch anything, and that was one of the things I would watch. And like my memories that it was on in the morning, like sometime around Price is Right, sort of thing. But that could be completely wrong, and that it was okay. So I think my sister and I both liked it, and we watch it sometimes. That's about all I got. I do remember though the opening credits when it's singing the song. And then it shows what I can never remember his name. It's Ted, the dad. The dad. Oh yeah, he's got an expression that looks like he chops people. <laughs> we see Ted at his uh, robotics place, and it looks like an industrial park. And it kind of spurred an interest in me in my youth of wanting to work at an industrial park. <laughs> but that'd be kind of a cool place. You to work wanted at. to have sort of a soulless job. Yeah, at a generic industrial park yeah, somewhere and eat your lunch by the parking lot. Yeah, that's a little bit better because, you know, those industrial parks in the 80s all seem to have, like, nice little grassy areas. Yeah. And my, where you eat your lunch. Where you eat your lunch and then some woodsy <laughs> parks. That's probably a pretty good place. Robots um, are cool. 
But that's about all I got, really. Not, not as big of a connection as some. But I know people from uh, people from northern Utah there in the eighties had big aspirations. It sounds like <laughs> big time. Well, I mean, that, I'm that, working for three com. I don't think I really thought that because my memories that I always wanted to be a couple of different things, and that was never one of them. But I think the back of my mind it was like. Really sitcom pedophile well, in an industrial <laughs> complex, not one of them. Well, my aunt probably good. My aunt lived in uh, uh, Orem, Utah, which is full of industrial complexes. In fact, sure. that's all it is. And, oh. and so I think that might be part of it too. Signs. Driving by those places and making mixed connections. I don't know. Huh. Maybe I'm just making stuff. No, that's up. that's a really odd window into your psyche. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Very much. My, I guess earlier my point was going to be at 10 years old, having been at this point through the discussion in school about hair growing in different parts of your body and so on. Sure, yeah. The whole setup uh, somehow affected me very creepily. Like, uh, for instance, in this pilot episode, uh, there are lines like uh, that Jamie and Ted and, and uh, Joan are all uh, sort of around Vicky as an objectified, non-moving thing. She hasn't been turned on or instructed to move yet. And then they're sort of uh, fondling her is the, the nicest way to say it. And they, they say things like, it feels like a girl. And then Jamie smells oh. it. And it smells like a girl. Oh. And there's all kinds of stuff like that. And Ted says, it's real human hair. Would you rather have a redhead, honey? And then he says, it's like a new child, only this time I gave birth. And there's oh, all this oh, weird gender politics and parent politics and creepy pedophilia overtones. Uh, I mean, there's nothing overt, but but it's just such a. It would it seemed inappropriate to me as a kid, like the Different Strokes episode with the creepy bike shop molester. Remember that? Uh, I, I don't remember it, but I've seen it since. That tone pervaded the show for me in ways that I think are unsettling. Huh. Fair enough. Did you feel that in the rewatch that that vibe was? I didn't really feel it until we started talking about it. And then I started realizing things weren't adding up. Things were not adding up in this scenario. Right. But I feel also like when I watch an episode of Big Bang Theory, mm -hmm. it's not that different than Small Wonder. Like they say things that aren't jokes and people <laughs> laugh. But it's better. Sure. It's, it's better. Oh, yeah. No, even without having ever seen it, because it's a popular show, uh, I can assure, I'm assuming that it's better. Yeah. Um, what do you make of the fact that Vicky is a robot who takes everything literally, but she nonetheless has comic timing when she needs it to deliver a joke? <laughs> like her wink, you know? Uh, Which yeah. it only makes sense in a joke context, but she's not supposed to get jokes. I make of it nothing because the show is trash. <laughs> what do you make of it? Uh, same. Yeah. <laughs> the, the trash theory. <laughs> I'll tell you a joke that was on the show that was uh, fairly creepy. It turns uh, out that living with Ted, uh, according to Joan, in a one-liner, is just like living with Bill Cosby. Oh. She says. Well, I know, right? What did she mean by that at the time? Oh, she, she was, was funny? She was undercutting his attempt at humor. Oh. Because he said, oh, I'm a pretty funny guy or something to that effect. And she said, oh, it's just like living with Bill Cosby. Yeesh. Uh-huh. What if she would have taken a drink right after she said that line? <laughs> uh-huh. And started stumbling toward the couch. <laughs> You're not famous, are you? Uh, you know, the thing is about Ted... And that's pretty good that he said that line because most people that have to announce they're funny aren't. Uh, I think you're right. I think that's that's true. I'm a pretty funny guy. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> oh, no, you're going to have a lot of fun hanging out with me because I'm pretty fun. I like to have fun, you guys. Oh, man, what about when people do that to other people by proxy? Like, oh, you're going to love my friend. He's so, so funny. That's or like when people hear about it later. You're funny. I said you were funny. You're not funny. You're, <laughs> you're terrible. You're a terrible human being. You make me sad. Oh, speaking of Ted the, ro the Russian robot, this is a funny uh, thing that happened to me recently. Mm -hmm. um, in the 80s in general. So I, <laughs> this is recently in the 80s. I'm in, I'm in the Vegas, I'm in Las Vegas last oh, week right, right. conference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm wearing uh, the Threadless t-shirt. I don't know if you've seen it. It's got like a few famous communist people 
drinking alcohol and various party positions. Sure, I'm gonna imagine it even if I haven't. Okay, seen and then it. it has like the you know the hammer and sickle in the background. The joke is it's the communist party. Uh, right, it's hilarious. Clever. Visual pun. Right. I get accosted by what had to have been a sixty-year-old mm-hmm. Russian guy. Ah. Uh, he starts asking me all of these uh, questions about communism. It was really uncomfortable. Like as a like are you someone is yearning for the old, yeah, the old days. Yeah. His wife's like it was American. He's like, honey, he's not a communist. That shit's a joke. And he just wasn't getting it. And it, was, it was a really interesting situation. So, dear me. Anyway, sorry. No, it reminds me of the line in the Small Wonder episode, The Sitter, uh, in which there's a joke <laughs> good, about good how. <laughs> which there's a joke about how the parents are worse than Russians because they negotiate harder. Oh yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's yeah. Russians. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Big J. Makes that Big J. Joke. How are you gonna put Big J to bed? <laughs> like math. Oh dear. Oh, well, I'd hear something before I forget. Did you notice that um, in the title sequence, it looks like they have a refrigerator in their living room? <laughs> it no, turns no. out that what they actually have is a fireplace next to their refrigerator in the kitchen. What? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. The layout of the house is screwy. Yeah, it is weird. There's like that weird thing in the back. A lot of sitcoms in the 80s had really weird house setups. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's just for camera movement. Probably. But, yeah, they have huh. that weird elevated... Back area, yeah, for, for the couch, yeah, the for the couch that no one sit on. Yeah, what a way. And then that the beginning shot we were laughing at together when when Ted tries to close the closet door, and you can tell he's doing it really carefully, probably because it doesn't work, <laughs> and then it still pops open. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah. Is, so now help me out. Is Jamie one of the Duggars? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, he, he, Right. Okay. Well, I can see where you're going with that. Okay. But, uh, no. What were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say, what? I mean, in what context is this show useful? If someone were to try to get something out of this show, what? where would they go with it? Uh, they would probably go nowhere because it's, it's not useful. Okay. I don't know. I mean, like, maybe it is. But no, I don't really think it is. I don't think you're a little qualified, a little vague there, buddy. You're right. Well, the question though, what do you think? Is it useful? Sure. Oh, okay. I think it this would be... This is way more educated sound than me. <laughs> I looked in a lot of places to see if this had ever made it to a full-length text on post-humanism, post-humanist theory, any sort of, uh, you know, 21st century integration of man-machine technology. Uh-huh. Nothing. But it seems like a right text for it. Huh. The ways that... Um, the interactions between Ted and Vicky, especially, are depicted in the show. Seems like it's at least a good illustration of popular thinking in the 80s with regard to automata. Whoa. All right, okay. So critically, in that sense, I think it perhaps might be fruitful for somebody. I recently browsed through a journal at a uh, conference. I didn't read the article, but it was essentially it was. The, I think the argument, from what I could tell, which seemed interesting, was how in the 1980s there was this t- trend in movies. I don't think it was just the 80s. I think it was the 70s. Obviously, like movies like Animal House and other films like that do it too. But like where they tried to make you know, the the idea of the male gaze, um, the male gaze looking at women undressing, mm-hmm. playful. Like it wasn't creepy, mm-hmm. but instead it was. We were in on the joke. The girls were in on the joke, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, right. like they were, they thought it was fun, as opposed to the rape plot of Revenge of the Nerds. Right, as opposed yeah. to the reality of what it is. Like, sure, how over that. Awful it is. Right, um, and to a lesser degree, an extremely lesser degree, I think maybe you could make an argument similar to that. The small wonder that you've got that weird gaze happening here with this girl robot that we're all it's not like anything sexual really but it's just like that same objectifying weirdness of this non non human thing that we're just using I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't no, know I agree I totally agree with you and it's inflected with gender and, and creepy uh, age dynamics just as a consequence of the setup I mean there are lines like I can't wait to get my hand on your button 
when, oh. when he has to open the flap. Go behind Vicky and open her flap. And right. Her he has to like unzip her yeah, and dress. Like, Vicky, turn around. And there's just yeah, these uncomfortable things. Yeah. things. Whether it's because she's anthropomorphic and so it just seems degrading or whether it's sexualized, it's dark. And she lets them do ways. it always, too. Yeah, like, she has to. She has to. Yeah, there's something about that. Oh, my God. That reminds me. I also thought that this show made um, made some kind of thematic structure for justifying a slave state or uh, mm. slavery as a, a cultural norm. I mean, if Vicky is replaced with any sort of uh, cultural slave of any sort, uh, all the lines read the same way. She's not a person. You can't treat her <laughs> that way. True. She doesn't need anything more than a cabinet. Don't think of her that way. It's okay. It doesn't hurt her, etc. I mean, those are all... all early 19th century slavery justifications. You're right. And here I was saying it was just a useless show. No, it's, it could change the world. I'm in for entertainment value. I think it's kind sure. of useless. But to that level, do you think there's any hope, any reason in which re, by which remaking it would make any sense? Is there anything to be gained by remaking it, it? Remaking it, redoing it? And if so, how? Um, huh. I think you could remake this. And it wouldn't be completely useless. Do do go on. That's all I got. <laughs> Just a big. No, like, I think like an eighties optimism. No, no, you you'd have to you'd it'd be like in the in the the twenty teens cynicism vision of life where everything's gone to pot and we're all depressed. Mm. Everything that was promised has gone away. So like she, if you keep the child plot, it would be much more about you know the realities of not having children. Maybe playing with that plot, you know, making that something that's happening. But I don't know. I feel like that's kind of been done. Probably. I mean, we talked about AI before we got into this. But what about just picking up the same series continuity? No. No, you don't think they should redo it with old Ted? No. Old Joan? No. Jamie and and Vicky the same. (laughs) That would be fun. Maybe there's something there. Creepy. Pretty creepy. Jamie kills them. Uh, Did you maybe like maybe you you bump it? You make it sexy, so it's like it's like Vicky's now like you know a single. So it's like we got the law, the six singles, the classic modern sitcom setup, and one of them happens to be <laughs> a freaking robot. Is it played? How is it played? Like Big Bang Theory level of broad comedy, or are you talking something darker? I'm talking like with the new sensibility of a single cam. Um, sitcom where there's legitimate funny jokes mixed with a pathos of emotional sadness where you can kind of play you know kind of like transparent arrested development yeah scrubs all those types of shows where somewhere in that spectrum where we kind of like sometimes feel like crying instead of laughing yeah you can explore some of these darker issues in the robot I'm down. I think if that were well written, that could work for sure. But I think it would probably sound be hard to sell. Imagine a lot of singles. <laughs> One of them's a robot. Well, it works. The first time, I mean, the plot, the initial plot is stupid. No one should yeah. have ever chomped at that bit. That's I mean, that's true. terrible. But ninety six episodes. 96. So maybe you just have to go balls out. You just have to say, <laughs> "This is it. Here's the show. We're doing. Robot chick. Robot chick. Adventures." <laughs> I'm pretty much thinking of New Girl, except instead of it being Zoe Deschanel, it's a robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of robots, did you watch that uh, thing I told you to watch, the Too Many Cooks? I did not finish watching it all the way through, though. In fact, I only watched what I watched here in your office. I appreciate but, your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but, but it's called Too Many Cooks, and it's available on YouTube, correct? Indeed. And it is a satiric take on opening themes telling a self-contained narrative with characters over a series of opening themes. But that is kind of what I was thinking with regard to rebooting Small Wonder. Something that embraces its darkness and plays that out. I don't know how long you could sustain that because the characters wouldn't be wouldn't have any pathos, you know? Yeah. But if you played it with pathos, like a sort of a dark soap opera, I think there's it could be satisfying to people like me. Well, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Um, like the first season of American Horror Story, or uh, mm-hmm. except with more jokes. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I might watch Desperate that. Housewives, except darker, that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I uh, say so. It was, it was rough. It was a rough viewing. <laughs> it was rough, and it was bad. It was depressing. And I feel stupider for having watched it. I agree. I watched it twice. Well, and I found the second experience, the second time watching it less painful. And I think it's because the first time was so traumatic. That the first time was so shocking that nothing could do that again. Yeah. Okay. But honestly, there is weirdly, I think, a tinge of entertainment value in it. That because of the badness and because of the bizarreness and because of the terribleness and the cheapness, that if you're desperate, you could get some entertainment out of it. I think that if you... But there's so many things that you could get entertainment out of. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. You you could uh, you could kick a rock down the street right, for 24 we, minutes. Probably wait. That actually sounds pretty fun. Let's go do, let's let's do, do that. that instead. Okay, we're going to have this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that if you care about television, if you care about narrative, if you're interested in media history, you owe it to yourself to watch at least one episode. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily enough. go for The Sinner. It wasn't on its own a, an interesting episode for anything but the basic stuff. So just dive around on YouTube, mm-hmm. watch one, but don't watch more than one. You don't need to. No. Eh. Sometimes there's even just like 10-minute clips of the episode. That's probably like me, but it's not like the story really matters. I mean, do you feel like at the end of the sitter, we felt like we resolved some stuff? No, but I felt some things. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Okay, um, but I feel like uh, it does demonstrate the the, the formula pretty well. It, it, I okay. think the whole structure sure. is part of what it is. The way that it has a stupid open and a dumb freeze frame joke, and the conflict is resolved without anyone really realizing it because it's so stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think those are integral. So, yeah, there wasn't even, you know, it'd be interesting to get, what was the actor's name who played Ted? Uh, Dick Christie. Dick Christie's take on Ted. Um, you know, if he was kind of forced to make him. Well, here's something I couldn't track down. In 2009, on a Fox show called Mornings with Mike and somebody, mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember where it is, there was a reunion where uh, Tiffany Brissett was on set after the 30th anniversary and then via satellite, Dick Christie and uh, and uh, Edie McClurg and the woman who played Joe, his name I'm spacing on, they were all linked up. And there's allegedly a five-minute segment in which they all talk to each other. Really? But the YouTube clip that was labeled that way turned out to just be about Demi Lovato. So I don't know what's happening. Weird. Huh. Uh-huh. But I've read about it. I know it happened. But I haven't found evidence yet. Okay. Huh. So I don't know. Dick Christie seems to be willing to talk about it and still around. So who knows? You might get your wish. Well, Dick Christie, if you're listening, (laughs) Uh how can you contact us? I would just drive into town. Drive into Pocatello, Idaho. And make a smoke signal. Yeah, we'll meet at the Starbucks in Chubbuck. (laughs) The Starbucks in Chubbuck. (laughs) That's where the big wigs hang out. That's where everyone does their stuff. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of Poppery Podcast. Like us on Facebook at Poppery Podcast. Follow us in the woods and on Twitter at Poppery Cast. Stay greasy.